0: What are you going to college for, or where are you going to
1: college? For? I'm going to Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and I'm going for intercultural studies with a minor in Spanish, so I can go into missions.
0: What do you to missions?
1: I think the Great Commission. I mean, Jesus told us to go and make disciples, and of all the nations. So I think the biggest thing is that there's just a whole world of people out there who like need to know Jesus and want to, and like they're. Souls, like, need something fulfilling, and that something is Jesus, and I know that. And so I've kind of just felt God leading me from more than just my community. to like, other communities, and, like, to just go out and share the gospel and help people. I don't know. It's just been so evident to me recently that, like, my world is pretty small right now. It's, like, my school and my family and my church, and there's a whole world out there of people that, like, I need to meet and I need to talk to and see.
2: Leadership, for me, has always been someone that would step out, not verbally, but through example. I have seen in particular that uh, we're going into our community, Medina in particular over here, and we're ministering to people in this community. And I think uh, that is a result of of the leadership that we have had here in our church. What you want to see is that the Holy Spirit is present in not just the services itself, but in our small groups, which I believe represent the real ministry of the individuals in our church. So I I feel very, very comfortable that the Lord, who has always looked into the future and he's had his people, ready to minister his word to this world, which is so needed, is continuing to do just that.
1: It's really fun seeing just how a larger church has gotten and how how it keeps evolving. Young people are growing up, and they're becoming Jesus followers, and they're saying, like, hey, I'm going to teach the next generation what i learned so i'm going to teach these kids what i learned so that these kids will grow up and then they will teach the next generation
3: yeah i've seen a move um, big time in in our church in the young adults ministry within united especially just people who i've gotten to know over time that have stepped into roles that i didn't see them doing you know a few years ago and same goes with me and now just being even involved deeply in life group. These are all things that not just things that I'm doing but things that God has actually laid a desire on my heart to do and I think that's the part that that really shows a big change because I know before I was a lot more reserved not necessarily resistant to it but definitely hesitant to jump into something I was uncomfortable with and that seems to be what I do pretty commonly now.
0: I see people being hungry. Um, I don't know, every, the more and more I really stop looking into just what I want to get out of maybe weekend services or gatherings or even life group and start looking at how can I start sharing this with other people I see they are hungry. Sometimes they don't always know how to express that. They don't know the word but they just know they need something more. And we've seen people reach out to life groups like never before. Uh, we've seen them trying to you know, connect with people in ways that have been just really only God sent. And it's just been refreshing and it's been certainly only the Spirit of God can do it because we're just people. I feel like we're just people without the Holy Spirit leading and guiding these things.
1: What does Jesus mean to you today? Jesus means to me today the same thing he meant to me two years ago that he is hope and before him my life was hopeless. And with him, I have a future and I have something to look forward to and I can trust in him that he is leading me and guiding me and he will do what's best for me and best for his kingdom through me. And I just have a whole life to look forward to now. Um, he means a lot to me. He, like, he moves a lot in my life and he really um, influences me. Jesus has literally changed my life.
0: I probably wasn't always. I know people think you just are maybe happy-go-lucky person or maybe outgoing. But there's been a lot of of pain in my life recently, a lot of change in my life that's been hard. And I've seen a lot of people come alongside me and love me through that. And because grace has been shown to me, I just want to give it back. I just, wanna, I just wanna share what God has done in my life. It's been real. It's been life changing. Yeah, it's been hard, I'm not gonna lie. It's been hard. Sometimes I'm like, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna do the hard thing. Who wants to do hard things? I don't always run after the the most challenging thing to do. But I've seen God's grace just literally hold me, literally surround me. I feel his protection. I feel his love in this work. I feel his compassion. I feel all the things that the Bible says are true of the Spirit working in your life. It's not perfect, but I see him doing it in me. I see him producing the fruit of the Spirit. I see him growing my family. I see him growing my husband in ways that are so real. Only God could have done this. Only God could have done it. I couldn't, I couldn't manufacture it. I can't make it. It's a humble submission to his will. Saying yes, over and over, over and over. Saying yes. Falling, saying yes. Succeeding, saying yes. Um, Being willing. Just saying yes. Say yes. (laughs) Looking the lights
3: around. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Awesome. Well, great. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you at the Medina East Campus, whether you're in the room whether you're joining us on live, on live stream right now, online, welcome to you as well. And uh, it is, it's just, it's so awesome to be able to uh, have a chance just to hear from the individuals who are part of our church and to hear about the things that God is doing in our lives, uh, kind of uh, kind of on an individual basis. And so uh, grateful for the way that God is working and some of the stories that you just heard. And then also at the United Retreat, um, we talked about the announcements. It's amazing to see. Uh, how God is just working in our midst. And uh, before we jump into the message for today, I wanna just take a moment and just kind of update you on some other ways that we've seen God working this past week, specifically uh, as it relates to the conversation that we had here last weekend. And so uh, if you are someone who is uh, newer to Grace or if you weren't here last weekend, uh, what we did is we actually had a chance to, uh, as a congregation, talk a little bit about our collective commitment to the emerging generation, so we talked about how we want to be a church that's really committed to investing into uh, the emerging generation that's up and coming. And that is a high priority for us and a high commitment. And last week, I actually spent a lot of time updating you on um, some of the construction project that we embarked on a while ago, where we uh, said that we wanted to expand some of our, our kids and student spaces here at our campus and I mentioned to you last week that over the past few weeks, we actually ran into some challenges. And because of that, we were actually faced with some pretty big decisions this past week as related to how we were gonna move forward with that construction process. So if you missed last week's uh, talk, by the way, I would actually encourage you to go back and listen to it. We kind of updated the whole thing, I'll let you know the, kind of the whole, where we were and what those challenges included and kind of the decision that we were facing as well. So last week when I ended, I actually called on the entire congregation And I said, said, listen, we have a big decision to make and I'm encouraging and I'm asking you if you would fast, if you would pray along with our staff and along with our team as we make this decision. I also asked you, I said, would you, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your input, I'd love to hear your feedback and I'd love to hear what you're thinking uh, based on some of the things that we presented uh, last week. Of course, I knew when I did that, I was opening myself up to hear a lot of different thoughts and opinions and I just gotta tell you uh, just a quick update. Over this past week, I have received an overwhelming amount of emails, of calls, of texts, of conversations. Uh, A lot of you have talked to me, have talked to our team, and literally dozens and dozens and dozens, I don't even know how many conversations and emails and texts that we receive from uh, the people of grace. And I just want to let you know that over this past week, there's three things, really kind of more than that, but there's really three things that have been very impressed upon me uh, as it relates to our church and as it relates to you guys, to our congregation The first one was this, Um, I was absolutely amazed and blown away, and I shouldn't be, but I just was amazed and reminded of the incredible amount of wisdom that lies within this congregation, of the wisdom that you have and that you were willing to kind of give and send my way. I heard from so many different people, from so many different vantage points, from so many different walks of life, and so I got, I got to hear um, things from, uh, from folks that were teachers, things from folks who were business leaders and business owners in the community. I got a chance to hear from people who are new, newer people to Grace, people who have been here for a long time, the older generation, the younger generation, I mean, everything in between. And just unbelievable amount of wisdom and perspective uh, that was spoken into this decision. The second thing that was really impressed upon me over the past week was the unbelievable amount of unity that we see within this church. I was actually kind of blown away by that. I knew that if I was gonna offer something like this to our people, that would probably get all kinds of mixed responses. And of course, as we all know, unity does not equal uniformity. Uh, We do not believe that everyone is gonna have the same perspective or is gonna have the same opinion on everything. In fact, we don't want that to be the case because that's not what unity looks like. But what amazes me is even in those different perspectives, what we saw was there is a united heart that we share as a church to invest in the next generation. That I was absolutely impressed upon that. And then the the third thing that really blew me away was the overwhelming vast majority of confidence that the people had in moving forward with this project. That just blew me away. In fact, I thought maybe I would just share with you a quick sampling of just some of the messages I received this week. And so I I wish I could read them all to you, but we we obviously couldn't do that, we'd be here all day. And so I'll just give you a few uh, that kind of came my way. This is a sampling that really represents the overwhelming vast majority of what we receive. So one person wrote, they said this, they said, Pastor Tony, uh, you are very attractive. They said that and um, they actually didn't, that's not in there, I just made that part up. But, uh, this is what they really said. They said, Pastor Tony, uh, you asked us all to pray and to reach out to you. And so we will pray and we are reaching out. I understand that spending the resources of God seems daunting when it comes to a physical structure, but we believe that it is vital to do so. It is much more than a building but it is a tangible vision and investment into what God is doing within our community. If God has planted this vision and this hope and this belief within his church, he will raise the funds and then some. I believe we should commit to faith and action and we should build. And so we commit not only our prayer, but also our support, both monetarily and in service and in heart to the church and to his kingdom. So count us in. Another person reached out to me, they said said this. They said, thank you for your message this past weekend. Before you mentioned your view on whether we should build or not, I felt very strongly in my spirit that the next right move would be to build. I have no doubt that he will provide provide as necessary. I've always held on to the fact that if we are working towards helping others grow in Christ by our actions, he wants that even more than we do. On another note, I will also be praying and fasting to hear from the Lord for what he would have me to do to serve and to be part of the next generations. Thank you. Another person said this, we love being members of Grace and we appreciate the update on Here We Go. Our family loves serving Empower Kids and so we know exactly what you are talking about in regards to our space issues. The graphic that you showed today about the increase in that area was a good reminder of the challenges that the church faces. While we're not ones to encourage any form of debt going forward, it is our opinion that Grace should indeed move forward with this construction. Another person said this. They said, we hope and pray that the church can go forward. As a mom of nine, wow. Remember that wave we talked about last week? That's half of it right there. So, praying for you. As a mom of nine, we feel at home and love through the church. We hope that others, both now and in the future, will feel the same way. Grace Church has had a huge impact on our family. And lastly, a person said, we pray we feel strongly that we should build, we have the momentum. We often say that God-sized problems are solved with God-sized solutions. The family of God, we feel, is ready to help. So let's make this a realization. And so I just want to let you know that after fasting and praying and hearing from so many of you and the overwhelming response that we received, the steering team met this past Thursday, and we uh, kind of decided that we are going to move forward with the construction of our new space. So that's exciting let you know about that together. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's good. So I wanted to say uh, to you guys from the bottom of my heart, thank you for joining us in fasting and praying. This was not an easy decision and we didn't take it lightly. And uh, I believe that God was faithful to, uh, he was faithful to our prayers and faithful to lead us in this direction. And so we will keep you posted as things continue and as we kind of progress in those ways. I do just wanna to mention too, one of the overwhelming responses that we had from so many people was they said, if we do in fact move forward with this construction project, we want to be involved, we wanna help, we wanna be financially involved, we wanna to try to somehow eliminate that gap if there's debt that needs to be taken on. And because so many people have asked how they could be financially involved in this project, I just want to point you to a place that you can do that if you're interested. So you can go to herewegomedina.com, that's the website. And if you go there, there's all kinds of uh, information about here we go, and there's a spot that says give. And if you click on that, that will connect you to either a one-time or a recurring gift. And, uh, and that would be an awesome way that we could continue to, uh, to kind of move forward in this, in, this, in this way. So here we go, Medina.com. If you want to continue to engage in that project, you can, you can do that. But uh, before we jump in the message, why don't we do this? I thought it would just be fitting if we just took a moment and we just paused and we thanked God. We just thanked him for, uh, for, for hearing our prayers and for leading us and directing us in this way. So let's, let's do that together. Well, God, we just want to come before you and we just want to say thank you. We wanna give you glory and give you thanks. And I am reminded of uh, just the, in, in scripture when you talk about the 10 lepers who were healed and how nine of them went on their way and only one, only one of the 10 came back and said, thank you. And Father, help us not to be like the nine, but we do wanna come back and we wanna say thank you. We have, we have fasted, we have prayed, we have sought you. And to the best of our understanding, we've made a decision and we wanna say thank you for your leadership and your guidance to us. And now, God, we just pray that as we move forward that you would bring greater unity to your church. God, and I pray that you would unite us under the banner of investing in the next generation. We ask these things and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, great. Well, if you are just joining us or if you haven't been here in a while, we're actually in the second part of a series uh, that we have been calling Here We Go. And of course, what we're doing in this series, it's a three-week series, kind of a quick series, is we're actually taking a moment to revisit a 10-year journey that we are on collectively as a campus. It's a journey that began back in 2020 and it's a, 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 a kind of a journey that we are collectively pursuing together as a church. And what makes this journey unique is that it's actually characterized by the pursuit of four specific key areas. And so the four areas that we are collectively trying to pursue together as a church, kind of in this 10-year period of time, is first and foremost, children and students. So last week, we actually talked about that. We talked about our commitment to want to be a, a group of people who are collectively investing in the emerging generation. We said campusing is one of the key areas of focus for us, that we want to be a church that plants other churches, plants other campuses. Leadership development, we said, is one of the collective focuses that we are looking at in this 10-year journey, and then, of course, outreach as well. And part of the reason that we said we wanted to do this series right now, we want to do this this three-part series, is actually for several different reasons. And so, first off, we said, we want to do this to remind and renew our collective commitment to here we go, And we also wanna do this series to recast and refresh the biblical heart behind our here we go goals and aspirations. And so, like I said, this journey began for us back in 2020. And we know that since then, there's a lot of things that have changed and transpired in our church and in our world. And because of that, we know that some of the commitments that we have made, um, sometimes it's easy to kind of drift from those. And so this series is a way for us to remind and renew and recast and refresh kind of some of those commitments and sort of the biblical heart behind them. We also said that we wanna use this series as a way to just provide updates, just update all of us on how are we doing, how are the goals and the the aspirations that we kind of committed to, how are those faring? So we're doing that. And then lastly, we said we wanna use this series as a way to orient and invite newer people into, here we go. So we also understand that over the past couple of years, there are many of you who have been new to grace. And because of that, the here we go conversation for some of you is a brand new conversation. And so our hope is to kind of fill you in on what is that, orient you to the journey, and then invite you to take your part within it, to be part of this here we go journey. So that's what we're doing. Last week, like I said, we talked all about our commitment to kids and students. This week, what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of the time that we have talking about our collective commitment as a church to pursue campusing, to pursue campusing. So the question is, what is that? What is campusing? And what is it that drives our heart to be a church that's focused on that? Why would we do that? Okay. And so if you've been part of Grace here uh, for any length of time, you will notice that you hear us to use the word campus a lot. We use that word a lot. So we are the Medina East campus. We talk about our campus, this church campus. And so we also talk about campusing, which I don't even know if that's a word, but it's something that we say often. We talk about this idea of campusing. So what is that? Well, Grace Church is actually, we we view it this way. We view ourselves as a multi-campus church. And so we are one church that currently exists in eight different campuses. We are one of those campuses. We are the Medina East Campus. And each campus of Grace Church is designed in such a way that our heart and our ambition and our prayer is that each one of those campuses would eventually grow and would multiply and send more campuses. Now, what is the heart behind that? What is is, is it that drives that? Well, basically, I would say it this way. I would say the very heart of campusing. when When we use the word campus, we use the word campusing. What we're really talking about is we're talking about church planting. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about church plants. And I don't mean plants that you put in churches, not like greenery. What I mean is new churches that are developed and are sent into new communities, into new places. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're committed to. And one of the ways that we, kind of the shorthand way that we articulate this passion that we have to send and plant more churches. So we actually have a little statement that we use. We call it 30 and 30. Maybe you've heard this before. You've probably seen it out in the cafe. You might be wondering what exactly is 30 and 30? Not to be confused with 30 for 30, which is an ESPN documentary series, which by the way, uh, I just gotta say this, is awesome. If you haven't seen any of the 30 for 30 stuff, it's incredible. Uh, but 30 in 30 is not 30 for 30. And what that is, is that is a simple statement that is used to express our collective prayer, our collective effort, and our collective desire to plant 30 campuses in 30 years. And so we are praying and we are, we are working towards and we are asking God that if he would let us be part of something, that God willing, that we'd be able to see throughout our churches 30 campuses planted over the course of 30 years. So here's the question that a lot of people ask is, what is it that motivates that desire? What is it that motivates that ambition, right? Is it, uh, some of you hear that, and maybe for you, you immediately think business strategy. So some of you might think, oh, I see what you guys are doing. It's like a franchising model. That's what you're doing, right? It's like a, it's like a Chick-fil-A or like a, like a Culver's, which by God's grace and sovereignty just opened down the road <laughs> right here. And um, praise Jesus. And... <laughs> Like, so some of you are like, oh yeah, it's like a franchising strategy, right? Like you guys have your brand, and you have your logo, and you have your menu, and you have your goods and services that you offer, and what we're doing is we're basically just, you know, kind of making new grace churches in the same way they make new, establish- that's what motivates 30 and 30, right? Or some people might say this, they might say, well, what motivates 30, 30 and 30, isn't that like, a, is that like an ambition, That Grace Church has to essentially add proverbial notches on the Grace Church belt. Like, is that kind of what motivates? And honestly, I mean, just being honest, some of you might even be critically just thinking to yourself, "Why are we so committed to planting new churches? Aren't there enough churches already?" I mean, some of you are like, "I drove here and I passed like ten of them," and so why do we need to keep focusing on church planting? So my hope is that by the end of today's conversation that what you'll see is that our commitment to 30 and 30 and our commitment to being a church that is focused on campusing is actually not motivated by any of the things I just said. What motivates that, that heart for us in campusing is actually a set of deeply held biblical convictions as it relates to what we believe about the church and what we believe Jesus's mission is on this earth. And that's what motivates it. So anytime you have a conversation about church planting and anytime you have a conversation about the church at all, I think you always have to start with a very critical uh, realization, a very critical starting point, and it's this. Anytime you talk about the church, I think we have to begin here. That the church is Jesus's idea, and the church is Jesus's plan to accomplish Jesus's work in this world. Okay, this is a very critical statement that I'm making right here, and it comes right from the scripture. The Bible's gonna tell us that, that according to what the Bible says, that the church, the church is actually not a man-made organization, at least it was never intended to be. The church is actually a Jesus-initiated organic movement that he himself promised would happen. It's his idea and it is his plan to accomplish the work that he desires in this world. In fact, did you know that the first time the church was ever mentioned, ever mentioned in the Bible or ever mentioned at all, before the church even existed as we think about it today, Um, The very first place where you hear the church talked about was by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was the one who debuted the idea of the church. And by the way, it was before he went to the cross and it was before he rose from the dead and it was before Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came and the church began. It was before all of that. And here's what Jesus said when he debuted the idea of the church. He said, I will, I will, Jesus said, build my church, it's his. And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus made this, he made this proclamation and he made this promise about the church. And what did he say? He said, the church is my idea and it's my initiative. I'm going to be the one who builds it. And he also said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what does that mean? Well, the gates of hell is basically a way of talking about the brokenness and the evils that we see in the world around us. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the church is his plan and his strategy that is going to address the brokenness and is going to address the lostness that we see within the world around us. In other words, you put it this way, the church was never intended to cower in a defensive posture against the brokenness that we see in the world. The church was always intended to be an active agent of love, of servanthood, and of transformation in the community in which it lies. That was Jesus' plan from the very beginning. Now, because this is the case, because the church is Jesus' idea, The most important question that we can ask, as for those of us who follow Jesus, the most important question we can ask is not what do we want the church to look like. That is not the most important question. The most foundational question should not be what do we prefer? What do we like? What do we want the church to look like? The most important question we can ask is if it's Jesus' idea and it's his church and he's the one who's building it, what does he want? What does he want for his church? What does he want for his church to become And here's what I believe. I believe that God has been so gracious that he doesn't simply tell us in the word of God that his desire is that churches would plant churches. But I actually think God has been so gracious that he actually gives us some insight into how churches plant churches. And so I wanna show you what that looks like. Okay, so if you have your Bible, I want you to join me. We're gonna go to Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. So get your Bible out if you got it. If you didn't bring one with you, there should be some Bibles under the chairs, and you can turn to page 894 in those Bibles. And of course, if you don't own a Bible, have one, take it home, make it a gift. We'd love for you to do that. Acts chapter 13 and 14. So we're actually going to look at two chapters. Now, we're not going to read them line by line and verse by verse, because that would take a really long time. But what I want you to see is I want to kind of summarize what we see in these, these two chapters, all right? So I've actually been studying Acts quite a bit recently, and uh, part of the reason I've been doing that is we're preparing for a series that we're going to do in the fall. Uh, that we're going to go through the, the, the book of Acts together, and I've been particularly struck by these two chapters recently. So what I want to do is I want to read kind of the bookends. I want to read the first part of chapter 13, and I want to read the last part of chapter 14, and then we'll kind of summarize what happens in between, all right? So chapter 13, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, now, in the church at Antioch, There were prophets and there were teachers. And so you had Barnabas, you had Simeon called Niger, you had Lucius the Cyrene, you have Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and you had Saul. So you have these names, these different teachers and prophets who were at this church. Now look what happens next. While they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and they had prayed, they placed hands on them and they sent them off. So once you to notice in the beginning of chapter 13, what do you see? You see this church in a place called Antioch. They're fasting and they're praying and they send off Paul and Barnabas. They send them out, okay? And I want you to notice how it ends. Look at chapter 14, at the very, very end of chapter 14 in verse 27. It says, on arriving there, so they're coming back to Antioch, They gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay, so do you notice this? Notice the book ends. It begins with uh, Paul and Barnabas being sent out. Okay, so they're sent from this church in Antioch. And it ends with them coming back to Antioch and giving a report of all that God has done through them. So, the question I want to think about is what happened in, this, in between these bookends? What transpired? How did God work through them? And here's the short answer there's a lot that happened in these two chapters. But the short answer is many churches were planted. Many churches were planted. What you have here in Acts 13 and 14 is what is sometimes referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. So Paul is gonna go on several missionary journeys where he's gonna plant a whole bunch of churches, but this is the first time you see it happen is in Acts 13 and 14. And what I think is amazing is that in these two chapters, I believe what you see set before us is the pattern of how churches plant churches, and you're gonna see this continue throughout the book of Acts. So you're gonna see a pattern of how church planting happens in the book of Acts. And so I think specifically, and I just wanna kind of observe this together, I think you're gonna see that there is a pattern of five progressions that happen in these two chapters that you see repeated over and over again throughout the book of Acts. So what are they? All right, well, here's the first one. How does a church plant a church? Well, in Acts, what you're gonna see is that it begins here. Through prayer and fasting and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is critical, The church is gonna send disciples of Jesus out. So how does the church planting begin? Here's how it begins. A church is fasting and praying. They're seeking God's direction. And the Bible's gonna show us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is going to send disciples out into new communities. So check out chapter 13 again. Look at what you see in verse one. It says, now there's this church in Antioch. So there's this church there. And the Bible says that there were prophets and there were teachers within this church. So I just want you to notice something real quick. There's a lot that we could say about prophets and teachers. But what I want you to notice is that this, what the Bible is telling us is that this church apparently had a lot of leadership. They had a lot of leadership that was developed already. And so it lists some names. You had guys like Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manian, and you had Paul, who was also called Saul. So this place is kind of stacked. It has a lot of different leaders who are involved in a lot of different ways. And I want you to notice what the Bible says next. The Bible says that on one occasion they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. And look at this next thing. And the Holy Spirit said, that's really interesting to me. The Bible doesn't say, and one of them said, hey, you know what we should do? That's not what it says. It says the Holy Spirit was the one who brought this up which some of us are like, well, how did the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know how the Holy Spirit said this, but the Holy Spirit said to these believers as they were fasting and praying, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the, work, uh, for the work in which I have called them. And so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on him, and they sent him off. You guys, I think that this is a very, very critical observation, that the Holy Spirit is the one who's propelling this movement. Now, why is that important? Do you guys remember what Jesus said back, back in Matthew 16? Jesus made a promise And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, the big question is, how is he gonna do that? How is Jesus gonna plant his church? The book of Acts answers that question. The way that Jesus Christ is going to plant his churches, the way he is going to build his church is through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's how he does it we see in the book of Acts. So it's him who's leading this. He is leading the charge. And so notice what happens. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit said, Paul and Barnabas are the ones that I want you to send out. So they fasted and they prayed again. They placed their hands on them, which is a way of commissioning them. And the Bible says from this point forward, Paul and Barney start walking. And where do they go? Where do these guys go? Let me just tell you, they go all over the place. They go all over the ancient world. And so you're gonna see that the next two chapters spans an amount of time of about a year and a half to three years. Commentators have some different opinions, but it could have been up to a three-year journey they were on. They cover over 1,500 miles by foot or by boat. So you're gonna see they go from Antioch to Seleucia to Salamis to Paphos to Perga to Antioch, a different Antioch, to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derbe. They backtrack, they end up going back to Antioch is what they end up doing. 1,500 miles is what they do. And as they go from town to town, this is chapter 13 and 14, as they go from town to town, village to village, what is it that they're doing? And again, what you're gonna see is by the time they're done, there's churches all over the place. They're planting churches. And of course, the question is, how did they do that? How did they go from nothing, literally nobody, to now there's these churches that are planted? And again, I think you're gonna see that here in this passage. In fact, I think probably the most succinct place where you see this pattern show up is probably in Acts 14. So if you look at Acts 14, I want you to notice what the Bible says when, in verse 21, the Bible's gonna say that Paul and Barnabas, they go to a place called Derby. So here they are in Derby. And so what do they do? It's the first time they've ever been there. They don't know anybody there. This place, there's no church there. So how do they start? Well, I want you to notice what happens. The Bible says they got there at Derby and they preached the gospel in that city and they won a large number of disciples. Now again, I think this is so important to think about this. This is the first time that you see Paul and Barnabas go into this city. Later, we're gonna find out that there, this is the beginning point of an established church. And so how does it begin? How does it begin? Well, notice, here's how it begins. It begins with them preaching the gospel and making disciples. And so you're gonna see that's the second thing that happens. So, the Holy Spirit, prayer and fasting, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the church is going to send disciples out in new communities. What do these disciples do when they get to the new community? Here's what they do they preach the gospel and they make disciples. That is critical. So, I want you to notice when Paul and Barnabas get into this town, the first thing they do is they do not begin looking for real estate. That's not their first move in church planting. Their first move is not to try to develop an LLC. That's not their first move. Their first move in church planting is not to print their brand and their logo on hats and on T-shirts and get all their swag moving. That's not what they. That was not, not that there's anything wrong with those things. In fact, sometimes those things are necessary and are even important. But I want you to notice at the very heart, what is the first thing that they do? The first thing they do is they begin to preach the gospel, and they begin to make disciples. This is the foundation of every church. It is what it is. The proclamation of the gospel. That it is disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. That is the very heart, the very beginning point of where a church starts, the gospel. Some of you are like, what is the gospel? Well, if you're newer here to Grace and you haven't been here, I just wanna tell you, the gospel is the thing that we are all jacked up about around here. The gospel is the thing that we wanna know and we wanna live and we wanna give away and we wanna be focused on, it's the gospel. And some of you are like, what is that? Well, very short and brief, in a nutshell, here's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. It is the proclamation about Jesus Christ. And it is the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to die a sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness and atonement of our sin. And then he rose from the dead, conquering the grave, conquering sin and conquering death. And he is the rightful Lord of our life. And that when we come to him and we submit ourselves to him and we follow him, that is where life is found and we are reconciled back into a right relationship with God. And let me just tell you, here's what we believe with all of our heart. What scripture says and what we believe is that that message, the proclamation of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the king, that message, we believe is the most critical, important, life given life-altering message that humanity needs to hear is the most, more than any political agenda, more than any social agenda, as important as those things might be, there is nothing that transforms the human heart more than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where the church begins. They go into these cities, they go in these towns, and they proclaim the gospel, and they notice the Bible says, and they make disciples. Disciples are made. So this is exactly what the text says. They preach the gospel, and as a result, a whole bunch of people became disciples. Now, disciples, by the way, sounds like a churchy word. It just simply means this. It means a person who is a follower of Christ. So as they preach the gospel, people respond. Not everyone responds positively, but there's a lot of people who say, I I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that there's a large number of disciples that form. And I also want you to notice the Bible says plural. There was a large number of disciples that were formed. And so what do you see here? What you're gonna see is as they preach the gospel, disciples are made. And as disciples are made, they preach the gospel and more disciples are made. And so now you have disciples that make disciples that make groups of disciples. In fact, we're actually told in the book of Acts that the disciples would sometimes meet together in a large setting like this so that they could hear the, the, the public preaching of the word, but they would also meet in each other's homes throughout the week. To flesh out what is it going to look like for us to live this life committed to Jesus together, and so they would do that, and so they would have small groups, and they would have big gatherings like this. and then I want you to notice this, I want you to notice the next progression. as the gospel is preached, disciples make disciples that make these groups that make these groups. I want you to notice the next thing, then the disciples are strengthened and they 're encouraged. So, so watch what happens in, um, in, this, in this next part of verse twenty one It says that after they preach the gospel there in this place called Derby. They then returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, this is actually a really important point. I want you to notice this, that Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says that what they do is they go to this place called Derby, they preach the gospel, disciples are made, and then do you notice what it says they do after that? The Bible says they went back. They went back, they backtracked, And they went back to Lystra and Iconium and they went back to Antioch. And what you're gonna see is it's almost like they were working this circuit. They were working this this little group of people, these groups of churches here. Now, why were they doing that? Well, the Bible's gonna say the reason they were doing that was because they were there to strengthen and encourage the disciples. Now, here's why that's so important to me. I think sometimes, at least for me, when I read this passage, I get this picture in my mind that what Paul and Barnabas do is they come into a town they find a platform, a stage like this. They get up, they preach the gospel. And then a bunch of people respond and raise their hand and say, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. And yes, I'm in for that. And there's this massive you know, conversion and people. there's an altar call and people come to know Christ. And then afterwards, Paul and Barnabas get back on the tour bus and go to the next city. And that's how it works. That's what I can think. It's almost like they're like a band on tour. You know, they go into one town, they play their show, they give these like face-melting sermons and they get back on the bus and they go to the next city or the next town or whatever. But I want you to see that that's actually not what happens. What happens is, is they come in and they preach the gospel and they make disciples and they don't leave. They often stay or return until when? Until the disciples are strengthened and the disciples are encouraged. Listen, they didn't just parachute in, preach a sermon, and then leave. That's not how it worked. They parachuted in, they preached, they saw people come to know Jesus, and then they strengthened the disciples. These words, by the way, strengthening and encouraging, are incredibly strong words. The word strengthening literally means to be deeply rooted. It means to be resolved. And the word uh, encouraging is actually a Greek word. It's the word parakaleo, which is actually the same word that's used sometimes to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, that it is a coming alongside It is a strengthening, it is an equipping. So what is this saying? I think that what this means is, that this is far more than just a public presentation. Paul and Barnabas were very engaged in training and equipping. They were very engaged in pursuing a more developed understanding of the work of Christ in their life. They were strengthening the disciples. They were preparing them to experience cultural whiplash because of the, the decision they had, backlash from the decision they had to follow Christ. That's what they were doing. So they're strengthening and encouraging their disciples. And as they do that, it leads to the next progression. So we're gonna see that the gospel's preached, disciples are made, disciples are strengthened and encouraged. And then watch this next thing. Through prayer and fasting, you notice the theme here, through prayer and fasting, more leaders are then raised up. So look what the Bible says next. The Bible says, so Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them. in." now notice the language here. He appointed elders in each church and with prayer and with fasting committed to them in the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is the first time that you see that these little groups of disciples in these cities are called churches. This is the first time you see that mentioned. What's fascinating to me is in the book of Acts, the word church and the word disciples are actually used synonymously. I think that's helpful. It actually tells us about what is, what is the church. Well, we've talked about this. The church is not simply a facility. The church is not simply an organization. The church is first and foremost an organic collection of disciples of Jesus who are following him together. That's what the church is. And so you see that here as disciples make disciples, as groups make groups, and as they're strengthened and they're encouraged, leaders are then raised up. And so the Bible says that they appointed elders, which is basically a word for spiritual leadership. They appointed elders and with prayer and fasting, they did this. Remember, Jesus is the one who's building his church. So they began to appoint leaders as necessary. Uh, I love the way John Stott put it. John Stott in his commentary on Acts, he said, we noticed that the selection of elders was both local and plural. Local in that the elders were chosen from within the congregation, not imposed from without. And plural in that the familiar modern pattern of one pastor, one church, or one pastor per church was simply unknown. Instead, there was a pastoral team which is likely to have included, depending on the size of the church, full-time and part-time ministers, paid and voluntary workers, deacons and deaconesses. In other words, what he's saying, what John Stott is saying is, as disciples make disciples, that make groups, that make groups, eventually it requires that the church becomes organized. It requires that there are leaders and there are elders and there's deacons and deaconesses and that there are life group leaders and there's people who lead classes and ministries and those things happen. Organization is required. And as that happens, you're going to see that finally, the new church, if it's healthy, it grows, and then it ends up repeating the same pattern. And I just want to tell you, this is what you see all throughout the book of Acts. As you're going to see, these churches are planted in this way. Disciples make disciples. They're strengthened and encouraged. Eventually, leaders are raised up. And then as the church grows and becomes more healthy, eventually, everything healthy grows and everything healthy multiplies. And it repeats the same pattern. What I find so interesting is throughout the book of Acts, commentators will say that the apostle Paul planted probably up to 14 different churches. All throughout the ancient world, he planted 14 churches. What's even more amazing is when you track those churches throughout history, you're gonna see that all of those churches, if they were healthy, not all of them were healthy, some of them were unhealthy, but the ones that were healthy, they actually went through that same progression where you see that they planted churches and those, ch- those churches planted churches and so on and so forth till we get to where we are today. So here's the question that sometimes I find, I think we have to ask ourselves when we're reading the book of Acts. Whenever you read the book of Acts, you have to ask the question, is what we're reading prescriptive or is what we're reading descriptive? So I just described to you how church planting happened in the book of Acts. How do you see churches plant churches? But the question that I think is a very important question that anyone should ask when you read a book, especially like Acts is, is what we're reading something that is for us? Is it prescribed? Is this what God wants us to do? Or is this just descriptive? Is this just describing for us something that God did? Which one is it? And I'll tell you, this is a really important question. And I'll give you an example of why this is an important question. So in Acts 28, Uh, the Bible tells us that on one occasion, the Apostle Paul gets bit by a venomous snake. And the Bible says that all the locals who are there just wait to see if he's gonna gonna fall over and die because that's what happens to everyone who gets bit by this particular kind of snake. And the Bible says that miraculously, somehow, God does not allow him to die and he's completely fine after he gets bit by the snake. Now, here's the question. Is that descriptive or is that prescriptive? right, is that describing to us something that happened one time, or is that telling us something that should happen for every follower of Jesus, that we should just handle venomous snakes because we follow Christ and we're going to be fine because Paul was fine, right? I think all of us would probably say, clearly, that's got to be descriptive, right? That has to be descriptive. Now, there's some people who have said, the other, said that it's not, and in their services, they actually handle venomous snakes, which I would not opt for that one, uh, but some people have done that, so the question is, when we look at the church planting strategies of Acts, the question is, so are we supposed to do that? Or is that just something that God did back then in the first century? Like, is, that, is this just telling us about, describing for us something that God did, or is this prescribing something that we should do? So let me give you my opinion, my humble opinion, after studying this passage and, and really kind of just thinking about it and, and, uh, and kind of just reviewing and studying all that commentators say. Can I say my humble opinion is this? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that for sure what this is doing, Acts is describing to us the unique way that the Holy Spirit exploded the church in the first century. I think for sure you see that. However, I think there is a prescriptive element here. And the reason I can say that is because I think what you see in the book of Acts is you actually see a group of disciples in the first century trying to live out a timeless prescriptive commandment that has been given to all followers of Jesus. And what is that? Well, here, here's what I mean by that. It's this, it's Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave a commission. He gave a commandment to his disciples and it's a timeless one. It applies to all who follow Jesus. And here's what he said. After he rose from the dead, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Strengthen and encourage them. And I'll be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit till the very end of the age. And I believe what you see in Acts is you see a group of imperfect disciples of Jesus trying to live out this commission and this commandment that's been given by Christ. I'll tell you what I think is so helpful about this. Think about this with me for a minute. Matthew 16, what does Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says, the church is my offensive strategy. It's my plan to accomplish my work in this world. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 16. But interestingly, when you get to Matthew 28, what does Jesus say after he raises from the dead? He comes to his disciples and he doesn't say, therefore, go and plant churches. He doesn't say that. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. And what's so interesting to me is as disciples of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus. And as they continue to do that, you're going to see that the result is that the church is birthed and the church is formed. So how do we, here's the question, how do we collectively as a church focus on campusing together? How do we do that together? And can I tell you, I believe that it actually has to start here. I think it has to begin with a fundamental paradigm shift in the way that we understand the church. I just wanna tell you, I think, I believe that in our culture, in 21st century America, I believe that we have been conditioned to view the church in a specific way, that I actually think is very unhelpful. I think that, and I I don't think I think a lot of us might view it this way, and I don't think it's our fault. I think we've been culturally conditioned to view the church this way. For many of us, we tend to think of the church like this: we think that the church is first and foremost an organization. The church is a building. The church is a structure. The the church is a program. The church is a weekend environment like this one. Uh, The church is an LLC right? A church is a brand, the church is a logo. We tend to think of it that, and we tend to think that the church is an organization that offers goods and services, and one of the goods and services we offer is small groups. And so if you want to get involved in a small group, and that's something that really helps you, then good for you, that's good for you. But if you don't want to get involved in something like that, you don't necessarily need to, because that's just how it works, right? So it's an organization that offers small groups that encourages disciple-making, And so you guys hear us talk about disciple-making. You're like, well, yeah, that sounds like it's probably a good thing, and the church encourages that, and the Bible seems to talk about that. That seems important. And so a lot of times the way we view the church is like this. And so we think, yeah, I'm part of a church. What we mean is I I show up at a certain time, at a certain location for a certain service. That's what we usually mean. And, yeah, they offer small groups if you're, like, kind of into that. And then if you're, like, a crazy Jesus person who's, like, all about it, then you, like, make disciples. That's sort of how it works. (laughs) Here's what I want you to see. I mean, if I'm reading the book right, if I'm reading the Bible right, I think you're actually gonna see that this is absolutely foreign to anything that you see in the pages of Scripture. See, in the Bible, it's actually the exact opposite. What do you see in the Bible? You actually see this. The church is first and foremost disciples of Jesus, preaching the gospel and making disciples of Jesus, which in turn turns into groups of disciples who strengthen and encourage groups of disciples, which eventually require organization, Eventually, you're gonna need structure. Eventually, you're gonna need leaders. Eventually, you're gonna need facilities, right? Because you live in Northeast Ohio and you have to be under roof here because the weather doesn't cooperate. So those aren't bad things. These are not bad things, but they're not first things. They're not first things. They actually come at the end of the progression and the cycle. So what do we need to do to focus on campusing? Well, I think it actually starts here. I think we have to undergo a fundamental paradigm shift on what it means to be the church disciples that make disciples, that make groups, that make groups, that eventually, God willing, send campuses and send campuses. J.D. Payne is a missiologist, and I love the way he said it. Jesus never exhorted his followers to go into the world and plant churches. He never said that. So why do we devote energy and resources to these endeavors? That's a great question. Jesus never commanded church planting, so why would we ever do it? Great, I love what he says next. The answer becomes clear when Scripture guides our understanding. But we do not find a command to plant churches, we do find that churches are birthed from disciple making movements among unreached peoples. That's it. That's it. Disciples to make disciples. Make groups to make groups. that make churches and make churches. Mike Breen said it very aptly. He said, if you make disciples, you always get the church. If you make a church, you don't necessarily get disciples. It's not our job to build the church. That's Jesus' promise. Our job is to be obedient to the commission that He has given to us to so make disciples who make disciples. So practically speaking, as we talk about this here we go things and kind of in a closing, how do we do that collectively? How do we use our collective effort to focus on something like campusing? Well, I think Acts really helps us here. I think first and foremost, what it tells us is that as God's people, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to kneel first, that we need to be people of prayer. Um, what do you see over and over again when you read this account? You see that the church is fasting and praying. The church is seeking God. The Holy Spirit is the one who's leading. And because of that, I think one of the most important, one of the most significant things we can do is collectively pray together. This is why we have a couple big prayer initiatives right now. We have the 30 and 30 prayer cards. Uh, If you go out in the cafe, you'll find those. You can grab those. That is a way that we are collectively as a church praying together towards certain things related to 30 and 30. We also have an initiative called Pray for Your Three. If you've never heard of that, there's actually stickers out in the cafe You can grab one of those stickers, you can slap it on your phone, you can put it on your computer screen, uh, probably not your screen, but somewhere on your device and somewhere where you see it on a regular basis. And that, that will remind you to pray for three. And the three that we're talking about are three people who you desperately want to see come to know and love and follow Jesus. And I'll tell you, uh, in the last, when we started Here We Go in 2020, we saw over 430 people commit to praying for their three on a regular basis, which means that there's over 1,200 people who are being prayed for by name. And honestly, over the past couple of years, we've had a chance to see some of them come to know Jesus and even get baptized. And so that would be an awesome way to get connected to that. So Neil, first, I think another thing how we collectively focus is that disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus focus on making disciples of Jesus. That needs to be our ambition. That needs to be our focus. And if you've been around here at Grace for a while, you know that that is the backbone of our initiative together is to make disciples. There are literally hundreds of people who are engaged in disciple-making relationships here at this church. Some of them are intergenerational. Some of them, most of them happen within life groups as disciples encourage and strengthen disciples in those spaces. That's why those are so important. Uh, One of the initiatives that we actually started to focus on when Here We Go started back in 2020 was we said that over the course of the next couple of years, we want to expand the equipping division. So the equipping division is actually designed to strengthen and encourage and equip disciples of Jesus. And we offer classes that are for that purpose. And so right now, there's currently three classes that we offer in the fall and in the spring. They're eight-week courses. One of them is called What is the Bible?, And in that class, our hope is to strengthen your confidence in God's word. And so we talk about what is the Bible? Where did we get it? uh, How did it get to us throughout history? What was that whole process? Is it, can we have confidence? Is it trustworthy? Then we talk about the whole story of the Bible. We have another class that's called What Do Christians Believe? Which gets into matters of systematic theology, understanding some of the theological principles throughout the Bible, training and equipping in those things. We have a third class we just launched this last last spring that's uh, all about disciple making. And it's an eight week course that walks through Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And in it, we practically talk about what does it look like, practically speaking, to make disciples in 21st century America? What does it look like to pursue that? That class actually culminates in every participant developing an action plan of what it looks like to live out the Great Commission in their life. So that's been something we've been able to do together. And so focusing on disciples make disciples that make groups and make groups. Uh, one of the best ways that we can be involved collectively in campusing is to be engaged in biblical community, is to be engaged in life groups. Because as disciples make disciples and make groups and make groups, that is what causes campuses to make campuses. You know, we talk about this all the time. One of the most important steps that you can take in spiritual growth is to get connected to biblical community. And so if you're a person who is the Christian ninja who slips in and slips out and no one sees you and you move your hands like this and such, um, we would just really encourage you to be connected to the biblical community, to be strengthened and encouraged as a disciple of Christ. And because uh, one of our greatest needs as we get bigger and bigger is to continue to get smaller and smaller, is to be connected relationally in these networks of small groups. Um, that means that one of our greatest needs is leaders. Leadership development is a high priority for us as a church. I wanna tell you that since Here We Go started in 2020, we have seen 22 new life group and support life group leaders uh, kind of come through our leadership development training systems. We also currently have 20 life group leaders who are going through training currently as we speak right now. We also invest pretty heavily in internships and residencies here at Grace Church. We work with Grace College, we work with Grace Seminary. And I want you to know that those things are available to all of you. Grace College and Grace Seminary where you can get theologically trained in different ways. I was hoping to give you a more extensive update on the specifics of leadership development today, but I knew for time's sake I couldn't do that. And so actually, there's gonna be an email that's coming to you in your inbox if you're part of our church at one o'clock today. It'll be there. If it's not, you can call Kevin Pust and let him know, (laughs) and he'll follow up with you on that, okay? So that's good. So groups that make groups. And here's the last thing, and I'll invite the band up. Campuses make campuses. Campuses. And so we believe that as we focus on campusing, that as we preach the gospel and seek God and make disciples who make disciples and make groups that make groups, the result will be that Lord willing, that by the power of his Holy Spirit, that one day he will look to us and he will call some of you, that he will call some of us, that he will lead some of us to go, to go. And that maybe we we will pray and lay hands and send some of you into new communities where the gospel is not clear and accessible so that you can preach the gospel and make disciples and strengthen those disciples and raise leaders so that churches can be made to the glory of God. I wanna show you how it ends real quick. In uh, the very part, the very last verse of chapter 14, on arriving at Antioch, after they were done, Paul and Barnabas with all these journeys, the Bible says they got back to the church. I'm sure everyone was so excited to see them. they had been gone for probably three years. And notice that they reported, now I love this, all that, now do you see what it says? All that God had done. Not what they had done. All that God had done, and I love this, through them, through them. And you guys, that's my prayer. That's our prayer. How awesome would it be? How much purpose and how much meaning would there be if we could say that God wanted to do something through us and that we were willing and available to let him use us however he wanted to? Because Jesus said he was gonna build his church. And that's exactly what he's doing. And if we're available and we're willing, I believe that through the power of his spirit that he'll do that he'll send us. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I wanna say thank you that you have been so loving and gracious enough that you have actually put a church here. You've put a church here that we can hear, we can know you, we can hear the gospel, we can, We can help each other figure out what it looks like to live out the Jesus life in real time and space and history. Thank you for your church. And Jesus, as we think about what it would look like for this church to send another campus, to send another church, we just look to you. We realize that that's your heart and that's your desire, but we also realize that it's your initiative and it's your plan. And so Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to be obedient to the things that we know And what we know for those of us who follow you is that what you have called us into is to make disciples. And so would you help us as daunting and as fearful of a task as that is? Would you empower us and would you help us and would you equip us to that end? God, I wanna pray that you'd help some of us be gracious with us as we're undergoing a paradigm shift. For a lot of us, this is a whole new way of thinking about a church. And so I pray that you would be gracious and gentle with us as we undergo a biblical transformation of our understanding of what you desire for us. And so as we take a moment to worship and sing here, I pray that we glorify you and praise you for the work that you've done in this world and the work that you're doing in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name.